1: I'm back to trying to do as many of these podcasts live and face-to-face as I can. Uh, Today's is recorded from New York City uh, in a Zoom call, but I've been to South Georgia. I've been over to Nashville, Tennessee, traveling around. I'll be traveling some more this weekend uh, to bring you the podcast. That all costs money. Uh, if you'd like to support the efforts, we really appreciate it. We have a Patreon page where we have some loyal supporters from the very beginning. Patreon is patreon.org org. And the concept is, if you're a fan, if you believe in lifting up the strong voices of women who bounce back, we'd love to have you. Thanks so much.
0: Because there's very few chances in life where you can be alive and gather all of your favorite people in one room together to celebrate you and to celebrate your happiness and joy.
2: What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening, a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man Listening, because every woman deserves to be heard.
1: I'm Stuart Watson, and welcome to Man Listening. Leah Weinberg is from New York City, or lives in New York City now, but she was, grew up in Athens, Georgia. Never made a B until she hit law school, and then she cried. She is a perfectionist. She talks about how she started out her career as a lawyer and worked for 10 years and was really, frankly, miserable at it. Even though she was good at it, Uh, She was miserable, and so she had so much fun planning her own wedding, which she talks about, that she became a wedding planner in New York City, which she is very good at and just adores, but she talks about trying to overcome perfectionism, which is something all of us can relate to. Leah Weinberg. Where were you born?
0: I was born in Des Moines, Iowa.
1: Hospital or home? hospital for your mother your number what of how many
0: one of one
1: you're the only child
0: i am an only child
1: so what does that mean to you like what is your experience of having <laughs> no competition
0: uh i mean i'm a grown adult and i'm still not very good at sharing so that's definitely something i've carried over other than that though i feel like i'm a pretty well adjusted only child Yeah. Everybody's like, did you want to have a sibling? And I'm like, I mean, I don't know any difference. So it's kind of a weird question to answer, but like, no, I was kind of, (laughs) it was fine being an only child.
1: Yeah. Uh, for purposes of understanding Leah, what should I know about your mom?
0: Oh, uh, my mom grew up on a farm in Iowa.
1: And how come you're not a farmer?
0: (laughs) Because my mom married a guy from Queens. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) But then the roundabout part of this whole story is that I grew up in Athens, Georgia. Both of my parents um, were academic. So my dad got a job teaching at the University of Georgia, and my mom decided to get her master's there. So they moved us to Athens, Georgia, where I spent um, basically all but nine months of my childhood.
1: You were bound to, you had to get a graduate degree because- you have to keep up with mom and dad right
0: yes so ac- definitely academics were very important in our household
1: okay so how were you as a student coming up through grade school
0: i was a straight a student i did oh not God. i didn't get my first b until uh, law school
1: oh my word
0: and i cried cried my eyes out i've only had i've only ever gotten not an a in three classes in law school, and I could re- recite for you which three classes they are because I remember it clearly.
1: Are you a perfectionist in other areas of your life?
0: Yes, I'm very, but I am working very hard to break my perfectionist tendencies. But yes, that is an accurate description.
1: How, how do you go about breaking these tendencies?
0: Giving myself, being patient with myself, giving myself grace, understanding that things are not. Just success or failure, that in a lot of cases, it's also about the journey and what you experience along the way. I mean, I worked with a life coach who helped me realize that. So it's not something that I came to on my own, but it is definitely something I am working on.
1: Do you ever take on activities that make you profoundly uncomfortable that you know you're just gonna, you're just not gonna do well at? No like give me an I, example <laughs> give me an example of something that is like oh i am not good at blank
0: uh i won't i don't sing in front of people i will not sing in front of anybody um my okay, husband's about, never heard me sing. how about
1: happy birthday
0: i don't sing happy birthday
1: like, like i right mouth now. it i mouth it like <laughs> but your voice is melodic like as you laugh it's melodic you have I a,
0: probably i'm probably not as bad of a singer as I think that I am but I just don't have any oh actually you know what I think we're coming up on the the connection here so I was in middle school and wanted to take a choreography class and I remember and my parents still deny this but I remember the event very clearly my parents were like oh if you're going to take a choreography class we want to have you take a singing class because my mom I think was in was a, in the choir or something like my mom has a good singing voice. And I think one of my dad's brothers was like a, not a well-known, but like a folk singer. So I think singing talents run in the family. So they were like, oh, you, we want you to take this singing class. And I had no interest in it. And I think I was pretty awful. And so from that moment on, I don't think that was probably like somewhere between sixth, sixth grade and eighth grade. I've literally never sung in public since performing i performed castle on a cloud from les mis
1: oh (laughs) now it couldn't have been that bad come on
0: i don't know my dad still teases me about it to this day
1: oh my word oh yeah i'm so sorry i mean i did i
0: used i sang like i performed my fifth grade talent show i sang in front of the whole school and then something happens when you go through middle school and people are really awful, nasty human beings in middle school. And it really kind of kills your spirit a little
1: bit. If you go back to the high school reunion in Athens, or you look at the high school yearbook, people will say, people at your old high school will say, I remember Leah, she was-
0: Very smart.
1: (laughs) Were you the valedictorian?
0: I was salutatorian.
1: Did you get to make a speech?
0: I did get to make a speech, yes. And
1: what, what what did it say? Let me hear. What was the title?
0: So at the time, I was a, a part of my history is I'm, a, well, I am, am still a writer, but I was into journalism for a good portion of my life. And so I decided to frame the speech as if we were walking through like uh, the front page of a newspaper. And so kind of talking about the highlights from the class and like naming some of like special achievements and like sports and memorable things that kind of happened.
1: What appealed to you about journalism?
0: I like to write and I like to interview people and I like to connect with people and, and go and go deep, you know, like I like to get to know folks.
1: Did you practice journalism anywhere?
0: Um, I mean, I was a music journalist for about 10 years while I was in college and law school and for the early part of my lawyer career.
1: You were post-REM,
0: right? Oh, yes, yeah.
1: And post-B52s, so. Yes,
0: yeah. I mean, I grew up during the time that they were around. Their lawyer actually taught taught a class at the law school.
1: And there's the famous story that he told them I won't bill you. I'll just take a portion of your proceeds. I've heard that story.
0: Smart move. Yeah. <laughs> so are you familiar with the band Train? Sure. So they had some big hits a few years, like, I guess, I don't know what it made like a decade ago, I guess, but I saw them, they actually opened for another band. Um, and then to see them sort of have a brighter career than this other band that they were opening for at the time was pretty interesting. But there's a singer-songwriter from Atlanta. His name's Butch Walker. He's never, he has produced and written songs for a lot of very well-known people, but he himself has not necessarily gotten the acclaim that I think he deserves. But I have seen some pretty incredible shows from him at the 40 Watt in Athens. One of the most memorable being, he unplugged his guitar for the last song of the night and was just singing um, completely acoustic, standing on top of the bar, singing to the entire crowd. And his voice is absolutely incredible. And so it was like a pretty, that was a pretty magical moment, but he still never, um, his own solo career never quite took off as well as I think he deserved for it to.
1: And oftentimes those guys live in anonymity.
0: Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's all, it's interesting because I'm very, like very into music.
1: So, you go out with the gang and you get to drinking and somebody says, let's go to the karaoke bar. And Leah says,
0: I'm going to go home and go to bed.
1: Seriously. You'll run away.
0: I mean, I won't, I'll go and I'll sit and listen, but I will not, I I won't do it. I won't but what sing. If,
1: what if you go to a concert and everybody's singing along?
0: That's different. Like if nobody's going to hear me, it's like, you know, for people that are perfectionists, it's the idea of not, of like, we don't want to do something that we aren't 100% sure we're going to excel at. Um, And then it's like the fear of being judged and like being vulnerable in that moment. And like, yeah, it's just not, it's not fun to think about doing that.
1: (laughs) So your husband has never heard you sing? No. So when you graduated high school in Athens, Georgia, where did you go when you turned 18 and left home
0: Uh, I went to Flagler College in St. Augustine Florida
1: why Flagler
0: because I was able to get on the tennis team there
1: oh so you're also excellent at tennis yes so you're well-rounded with the exception of singing yes (laughs) oh do you still play
0: uh, not so much, but where we're moving to, um, there's like a tennis club nearby. So I'm hoping to be able to get back into it this summer
1: and in college,
0: you majored in business with a minor in Spanish. And why did you major in business? Uh, it was just kind of a general thing that I thought was going to help me take the next step. I mean, I assumed that I was going to probably get my MBA after college and like go work for Coca-Cola or Disney or something like that.
1: Yeah. And that is you, not what happened. <laughs> why not? What happened? What changed you?
0: So I got into like when I was in college, Jack, so Jacksonville, Florida, which is about 45 minutes north of St. Augustine, has one of those, you know, like underground but really good music scenes. And so got heavily involved with the music scene there, was managing some local bands while I was in college doing the writing, and I wanted to figure out a way to work in the music industry and had a random conversation with a woman who was the editor for one of the magazines I was writing with. And she's like, oh, entertainment lawyers make really good money. And I was like, okay, I want to be an entertainment lawyer. And so about a month later, I took the LSAT, uh, was able to apply to one school, which was the University of Georgia, got in. Um, Ironically, never practiced entertainment law for a day in my legal career because I That's a very long story, but there's a particular way to kind of go about getting into that industry. And I did not have anybody to really show me the way. So I spent about 10 years practicing commercial real estate law.
1: On the LSAT, your score was?
0: A 157. It was not very good.
1: Oh, really? So you didn't get an A on the LSAT.
0: I did not get an A on the LSAT.
1: But, I mean, it was good enough.
0: Yes. Combined with my grades and like... Extracurriculars and all that stuff. It was good enough.
1: Going to law school in retrospect, if you could go back and talk to 21 year old Leah, good idea, not good idea. I would not do it again because
0: uh, I did not enjoy a single second of being a lawyer.
1: If you could have leveraged it into entertainment law, you think maybe different.
0: I don't think, I think ultimately I would have come to the same conclusion. So, starting out, you know, entertainment lawyers could make anywhere from like 30 to 40 grand. Whereas, right out of law school in New York City, when I was, when I moved up here, um, first year law associates were making $160,000. And that's a really big, it's a really hard thing to turn down.
1: Yeah. But what if you're completely miserable and you have no life?
0: Um, I mean, I think you would still have that exact same experience as an entertainment lawyer.
1: Yeah, you could, you could still be miserable. But with the idea that someday, you know, you could get into where the real fun was.
0: I don't think there is real fun being a lawyer. I mean, for me as a part, like who I am as a person just is not compatible with being an attorney of any of any type.
1: What is it about? What does it take? What is the personality of a lawyer?
0: Well, I would say, I mean, what drove me away is the realization that at the heart of being a lawyer is there's always conflict. And sometimes it can be like, if you're in a courtroom, I feel like that's pretty obvious. You've got like the, somebody representing the plaintiff and the defendant and like that kind of conflict is, is very obvious. But when you're in a situation like i did a lot of leasing and so you have somebody representing the landlord and somebody representing the tenant and their interests never align so you are always it's a, a foundation of conflict is is underneath everything and sometimes it's pleasant conflict like sometimes you can have a pleasant negotiation and reach a salute, a mutually agreeable solution But more often than not, it's really unpleasant. And there's a whole lot of really, really mean, nasty people who are attorneys and who like to um, just flex that muscle for, you know, just because that's what they like to do.
1: I'm going to say something sexist.
0: Uh Oh.
1: (laughs) It sounds very male.
0: Yeah. Well, part of it is that when you're rep, whoever you're representing, it's never, you're not on an even playing field with people. So like, if I was, let's say I was a third year and negotiating with somebody, it's not like it's another third year on the other side of the table. So I was a woman who would practiced for like a maximum of 10 years. And I, the very last lease that broke me, honestly, was a guy who made it very clear that he had been practicing longer than I was alive um, and he was a complete jerk and it was awful. And I got off that phone call and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I got to figure out a way to not do this.
1: Are there instances now in real life where you are able to have a negotiation or a back and forth without making it personal?
0: I take everything personally. There's no way like in my day to day and my new business, like as a wedding planner, like I take everything personally. So that's just not something that I can detach from.
1: But I mean, there's some things that you just like, how can you take it personally? I mean, it's just like, if, it, if you plan an outdoor wedding and it rains in monsoons, how can you take that personally?
0: Oh, I have taken it personally because there's just, there's always something that you could have accounted for. And it's just me being hard on myself. Like I fully realize and admit that this is irrational, but that is, it's what makes me good at my job as a wedding planner. But it is also what takes a lot of energy and emotional energy out of me as a wedding planner. Like I had one wedding where it was a monsoon and it was earlier on in my career and the bathroom like the rental trailer for the bathrooms was separate from the main tent and it was just like a mud pit um and so now you know like you should rent a marquee that will go from the main tent to the bathroom tent or you have umbrellas or like and it also was freezing so like there weren't heaters and so I was like I didn't prepare well enough for that I couldn't have predicted it I probably couldn't have prepared because I'd never experienced it before, um, but yet it was still something that like I took hard and was hard on myself for.
1: Well, there's a huge missing piece here, and that is how did you go from commercial real estate <laughs> law to wedding planner of all things?
0: Yes. Uh, so I always wanted to start my own business and Pretty early in my legal career, I started trying to figure out what that business was going to be and eventually settled on Event Planner. And then after planning my own wedding and finding it to be pretty enjoyable and easy, decided to get my business off the ground.
1: Tell me about your wedding.
0: Uh, My wedding was fantastic.
1: (laughs) It's always great when you hear a bride say she enjoyed it because it is atypical, I think.
0: Yes. So we got married at Fernbank Museum in Atlanta, Georgia, which is the natural history museum down there. There were like dinosaur skeletons in the like main reception area. It was very, very colorful. It was great. Like I was, I put a lot of de- attention to detail into the wedding and um, just really felt like it was a good representation of the two of us.
1: What are some of the details that you added that people will remember?
0: We had a Lego cake topper on top of our Funfetti sprinkle-covered cake. Um, there was a very heavy 80s playlist. There was also the Lego theme that carried through into, like, our table numbers. So I had, at the time, found a vendor on Etsy who did photos of Lego, like, minifigures with different types of candy. And so I have a very big sweet tooth. And so it was kind of, like, the perfect mix of, like, the Lego thing with the candy. And those were table numbers. And so, yeah, there was a lot of like just little fun details.
1: Biggest pain in the ass in a wedding that you can completely get rid of. Like it's totally not worth the hassle. Oh, interesting. Like you can save yourself so much time if you'll just, is it the dress? Is it the
0: I think it's going to depend on every, I think it depends per person because everybody, different things are important for different people. And so, um, you know, some people like are, are anxious and don't like to be in this, in the center of attention. And so doing a first dance, like if that's going to make you super stressed, then just like throw the first dance out the window. For some people, it could be like a wedding cake because they like feel obligated to have a wedding cake, but if they don't like cake and maybe guests don't like cake, then throw the cake out the window. You also don't have to have flowers if flowers aren't important to you. So I think it really depends on each person as to like what's important to them as to what they can. But I always say like, if something feels like an obligation or if you're doing something because you feel like you should do it, then you don't need to be doing it.
1: What happens when daddy is paying you or mommy or mommy and daddy are paying you and daughter doesn't want xyz but mommy and daddy are saying oh we're having blank do you get how do you negotiate you want to talk about tough negotiation yeah (laughs) the person they're like leah we are paying you and we want blank
0: oh it's it starts with a conversation so we all sit down and we figure out why one side wants it and why one side doesn't want it and how we ultimately like come to some sort of resolution because i think ultimately in those situations either the reason somebody wants it and why it's important is or the reason why somebody doesn't want it one of those is going to be more valid i think than the other but you have to, you have to get to the why behind like why this is your position, because on the surface, it may seem like silly. I mean, a great example. So I had two couples in both cases, the couple didn't really want to do the parent dances, but in both cases, the mom of the groom felt it was very important to have mother-son dance and so both couples kind of dug a little bit deeper and in one case it was very clear that the mom wanted her moment in the spotlight with her son she wanted to be honored in a particular way and that was how she wanted to be honored and in the other case it was the mom just wanted like kind of like a private moment with her son related to a particular song. And so in that case, what we did was we had the groom and his mom kind of do their own first look. And we had the DJ, like pre-wedding, we had the DJ playing that song. So that way the mom could connect the song to that particular moment. And so it's kind of, on the surface, it's the same request. The moms want to do the dance. The kids don't want to do the dance. But in one case, it was very important, like the mom, the matriarch, wanted to be honored. And in the other case, it was less about the dance and more about the moment. So you have to have that honest conversation to figure out the why. Because once you do that, then you can reach a solution.
1: I can't help but think you have just described a mediation.
0: (laughs) Probably. I mean, I fully admit that I would not be as good of a wedding planner as I am without 10 years of being a lawyer, because it's the exact same skill set, just in a different context, like exact same skills, but in a different context.
1: So in a funeral, there are more and more cremations where you you dispense with the casket. What is the wedding equivalent of the casket that uh, millennials and Gen Z are just like, this is a freaking waste of thousands of dollars we're not doing it is there an example of that
0: some people are trending away from kind of doing formal seated dinners and instead just doing more like kind of a cocktail style thing with stations and more past food because they don't like the formality of making everybody sit at a particular table making everybody sit down at the same time like just everybody being seated for an hour and a half they'd rather have you know, on and off dancing, they want their guests mingling and they just want it to be more casual. So I would say the like seated dinner is something that um, people are rallying against these days.
1: Not to mention which, the which person sits at what table and by whom is a a freaking nightmare.
0: That's a whole mess.
1: (laughs) I mean, because it's just like, you can avoid all of that if you just say, sit wherever you want we're not going to try to engineer these little you know awkward moments
0: yeah I mean even my one of my closest friends at her baby shower her the her and her husband's family are both Italian and there was so much politics involved and even at a babe because they did do a formal meal at the baby shower but so much politics involved of like who gets to sit where and who is physically closest to where like my friend is the mom to be was sitting and who was around them. I mean, it, it's, it gets very complicated.
1: Did you write any of your own vows?
0: We, yes, we both wrote our own. So it's interesting because my husband and I are not super sappy, super romantic people. So mine, a lot of mine <laughs> was, I took different mo- quotes From movies and television, like basically like other people's vows or like romantic declarations. So that was my approach to avoid having to like be super serious about it.
1: Yeah. How'd you meet your husband?
0: Uh, We were set up by mutual friends on a blind-ish date. So... I knew about him in advance. So I was able to like, you know, do internet, my internet research. He did not, he was not aware of like who he was going to be meeting. So.
1: (laughs) And did that internet research help you?
0: Yes. I mean, I got to see pictures of him and like, just get a sense. Like it was back in the MySpace days. So like I checked out his MySpace profile um, and approved and thought he looked interesting enough to, to give it a shot.
1: What was interesting about him?
0: Uh, I mean, he was also into music, so that was helpful um into like computers and tech, so a little nerdy, which is also helpful.
1: <laughs> where was the first date?
0: The first date where it was like our blind date was um actually at a concert um, at a small bar in Atlanta called The Earl, and a group called the Avit Brothers were playing.
1: You think a guy from Charlotte, North Carolina, doesn't know a group called the Avett
0: Brothers. (laughs) You never know. I actually don't care. My husband loves them. I actually don't care for them, Um, but it was kind of a matter of convenience for like that to be what we met up for. We're because like he went out
1: because in North Carolina there's a law that you cannot say you do not like the Abbott Brothers. It will be stricken. The state of North Carolina will censure. This.
0: Stricken from the record. Um, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so basically, like he went, he kind of came with a friend. I came with a friend. He and I like were introduced and got to chat a little bit. And then like we both kind of went our separate ways for the evening. And then, like, obviously, we exchanged numbers and he called. And I think our next Our sort of unofficial like next like low-key day was we went to get pizza.
1: (laughs) How did you know that he was the one?
0: So for me, it wasn't, there's really not a specific moment. Um, He will tell you that like he realized it while he was having (laughs) dinner with a friend at Cracker Barrel. So like he had his moment of like knowing he, I was the one at Cracker Barrel, which we joke about. And for me, like it definitely took me a little bit longer. I would say there wasn't really a particular moment I don't that I can like pinpoint. It was more well, of what just kind what
1: of, was the cracker barrel epiphany?
0: He was like, I'm in love with her.
1: <laughs> oh, neat. A <laughs> um, cracker barrel. <laughs> what what was there are a lot of guys that you could say, I like this guy, we share these interests, that sort of thing, checks these boxes, but there's a big difference. When did you like what was it that you loved about him? What was it that made him distinct just from a nerd who liked music?
0: He was really funny. And so that's, I think, like been our kind of connection through our whole relationship is just our ability to make each other laugh and just like really get each other's like silly personalities that not everybody gets to see.
1: Oh, that's lovely. That's nice to have your own language.
0: Yeah, well, what's funny is that, so going back to like our vows for the wedding, both of, so we wrote our vows completely separately. And both of us mentioned in the vows, like how much we loved to make the other person laugh. So like, we just are very, we were very in sync with that idea. And so that's just been kind of like one of the things we enjoy most about each other.
1: I don't think you can be furious and laughing at the same time. So that's always <laughs> good. that's always a good thing if you can break the tension.
0: Yes, know. finding a good like GIF or a good meme is like our go-to if uh, if somebody needs cheering up for something.
1: Now, do you ever have couples where you're like, "Well, okay, if you want to hire me and pay me a whole bunch of money, but I don't really see this thing working out."
0: Honestly, no. I have one so there was a long time ago one couple who that became evident like on the wedding day kind of but they had me fooled through the beginning of the process. Yeah, no, I I have friends who have said that where they're like, you know, it's very clear on the wedding day that these two people are like going to get divorced pretty quick, but other than that one particular couple, like I think I only know of two of all the weddings I've done in almost 8 years, I only know of two divorces.
1: Now, if you have a girlfriend and she's getting really serious and they're like engaged or almost engaged or whatever, and you're like, I have a terrible feeling about this. Do you say anything or do you keep your mouth shut?
0: I do say something. I probably won't say it as like straightforward as you shouldn't be marrying this person or you shouldn't be with this person, but it's kind of like a therapist. Like I will definitely ask questions to try to help them come to like that what um you know just like you know why why are you marrying this person you know what do you love about them what does like your free t- what do you what activities do you do together like how do you have fun together um you know depending on timing like why are things moving so quickly yeah just kind of ask questions to get them to gut check themselves
1: are you technically a millennial?
0: I think I'm one of the like what do they call them like geriatric millennials. So I'm (laughs) was born in '81, so I'm like on that cusp of millennial, and I guess is it Gen Y? I don't know.
1: What is different about the whole getting married versus not getting married thing between your generation and your parents?
0: There's that tradition and expectation that like what else are you going to do other than find somebody, get married, you know, settle down. I think that was the narrative of my parents' generation. Um, And I think still the narrative that carried down for quite a long time. And it isn't until somewhat recently that I think people realize that like, you can have a fulfilling life that just looks different than what society is kind of telling you it's supposed to look like.
1: Yeah. So super dumb question why should people have a wedding?
0: Because there's very few chances in life where you can be alive and gather all of your favorite people in one room together to celebrate you and to celebrate your happiness and joy. And so it's not for everybody, but I still think that like, just that moment of gathering and celebrating is significant enough that it's, still a good and a valid reason to bring people together for a wedding celebration
1: well this brings up the, the famous head count because you know especially with catering or drinks or bar y- you're going to be charged by the person Yes. and so that's where you really get into oh we need to invite the johnsons because they're in the bridge club or whatever right, right. Uh, or they're in the country club And the daughter's like, I don't even know these people, you know? And so how does that conversation, how do you mediate that?
0: Uh, Well, there's two ways to mediate it. Well, there's two resolutions. Number one is sometimes it will depend on who is paying for the wedding. Um, Because sometimes if you're paying for the wedding, that will give you larger, that will like allow you to add people to the guest list. But this is actually something that I've been saying, I think post COVID, one of the changes that we're going to see, because I disagree with people that say that post COVID, like these micro weddings are going to be the thing. Like, I don't think people want small, I think post COVID people are going to want to gather and celebrate and be together like never before. Um, But I think, I think post COVID people's guest lists are going to be more meaningful and more thoughtful. So I think we're seeing, we will see like this trend away from these like obligatory invites to making sure that all of the people that are on the invite list are truly meaningful people who you very much want to have at your wedding day.
1: So the writing, how do you write now? How do you scratch that itch?
0: Um, Not a lot. I mean, I just, so I just got finished. I published in April, published my first book called The Wedding Roller Coaster.
1: Congratulations. Thank
0: you. Um, So that was like my COVID project. And I would say like, unfortunately, I don't get the time to write as much as I want to. I would, I think like making, like being more active with blogging, I think would be a good way to scratch that itch, but I am unfortunately just very busy with weddings and stuff. So I don't get to as much, but, um, you know, going forward, hoping to make more time for it. I definitely have at least book ideas for books, number two and number three (laughs) locked away. So also
1: wedding related.
0: Um, no, they are not wedding related novels. No, still nonfiction, but more for kind of like, well, one is definitely more small business owner oriented. And then the other one is Um, I feel like sort of Malcolm Gladwell-esque nonfiction, so.
1: Oh, you've got so much material to write a a novel. (laughs) You just change a few names just to make details. (laughs) And then you can tell it all, Leah. You can can get it all out there. The delicious, juicy...
0: I know. I actually have a sad... Well, sadly or not, I have a policy of like not... I never want one of my couples to read something that I've written and be like, is she talking about me? And so for my book that I did just write, which is about weddings, there were two stories in particular that I kept like very true to, true to facts and, and happenings. And I got those people's permission to do so. And then the rest I changed enough that like, I, hopefully people aren't seeing themselves in it because- I don't know. You just don't want to be that person, like reading somebody's, you know, wedding horror story book and then be like, oh my God, she's talking about me. This is awful. Like I never want to cause somebody that kind of like, I don't know that it's pain, but whether it's embarrassment or like shame or just, I don't want to have that, like cause somebody that kind of negative feeling. So yeah, I will never, I will probably never do like a tell-all.
1: What's the wedding roller coaster about?
0: It's, so it's, speaks directly to engaged couples. It's to help prepare them for the emotional side of wedding planning. So it talks a lot about psychology and behavior, um, gives tools and resources for like how to have big uncomfortable conversations, how to talk to family about money and what conditions come along with like their financial contributions. Um, It talks about stress and anxiety. I talk about prenups. Uh, We talk about like combining cultures and religions and how to do that. And just, you know, everything from start to finish, it's somewhat chronological. It's definitely not a how to plan a wedding book, but it kind of takes you from start to finish in terms of like what you should be thinking about, what deep conversations you need to have with your partner and other people around you. Because at the end of the day, I want to make sure people maintain healthy relationships with everybody around them in the planning process. Cause if you get to your wedding day and you're not talking to your best friend or you're not on speaking terms with your mom, like that's not what I want for you on your wedding day. Like I want every, I want you to have a great day but I also want you to make sure that like you've taken care of everybody around you and yourself in the process.
1: In the old hetero cisgender world, I I just like was along for the ride. You know, I had no stress. I wasn't even living in the town. How do you kind of coach up men in the old heteronormative world? How do you coach up the groom to say, "Listen, you may want to like take out the trash, or you may (laughs) want to like bear some of this burden because she's stressed out of her mind." Yeah. Like take some. How do you say that nicely?
0: I think I mean, in terms of most of my couples, they tend to be fairly. Both parties tend to be fairly involved. I think again, it goes, so I'm big on communication. So like a lot of my advice for people always starts with have a conversation because, you know, it depends on what somebody wants. Like in my case, I was super excited to plan a wedding. And I said to my husband, I will like do everything. You just, he handled the honeymoon and he, cars are very important to him. So he wanted to do our getaway cars. So he Handled the getaway car and the honeymoon, and I did everything else, even while still working, like at a you know a decent sized law firm and very busy. So it's like, but at the beginning, the idea is you have that conversation of like, how are we dividing this labor? Um, And then for me, as like the planner, if something is going on and somebody's absent, or if like one party's complaining about the other, like I'll have a conversation to try to bring them back into the fold. I definitely feel like. The majority of the couples that I work with, just just by virtue of who I kind of attract, they are very sort of equal-minded in terms of how of their level of involvement in planning.
1: So when it actually comes to be the big day, are you running around with a headset? Are you front and center? Or are you? Um, is everybody like turning to you, or do you like blend into the background? And you want to blend be-
0: I'm a blender. I blend into the background. So my approach i don't i actually don't have a headset um yeah i don't use walkie-talkies maybe i'm old school (laughs) like that but yeah no and i have
1: and code names bridezilla (laughs) is on the move bridezilla is on the move
0: (laughs) but i actually have this i just had this conversation with my couple that's getting married in a couple of weeks because My default approach is to very much just like be on the outskirts, observe. Um, You'll always be able to find, if you need me, you will always be able to find me, but I'm not in your face. I'm not like helicoptering or hovering. I'm not constantly asking you if you're okay. Like I'm watching. And if I see that you're not okay, I'm in, like, I'm in there, I'm taking care of whatever needs to happen, but I don't feel the need to like, just be on top of my couples or their families. And in a couple situations, I got feedback from people that like, oh, they wish I had sort of been more present. Um, So that's why now I have these conversations. I'm like, hey, here's my default approach. If you are the type that like you want me to just kind of like be constantly bugging you and checking in, let me know. I will do that for you. But otherwise, I'm just generally like always on the peripheral, just watching everything and step like anticipating and like stepping in when needed
1: i saw a wedding once in which a bride had a bunch of i think it was a no it was a maid of honor had a bunch of hairspray this will tell you about the era the 80s and um <laughs> she backed into a candle
0: oh god
1: her hair went up
0: have oh you, god
1: have you seen anything like that have you ever had
0: I don't, I'm not near any wood, but I need to knock on wood. I have not, I've heard stories. One of the stories I heard, so I never recommend that people have like candles lining the aisle because I've heard a story of a guest whose pant leg, they were like walking to take their seats and their pant leg got caught on the flame and like their pants went up in flames. I've never seen it. So not that it hasn't come close to happening before, but yeah.
1: Do you have sort of, gentle suggestions like along the way uh, to try like if you see somebody that's like this guy is going to be the party till the break of dawn and then expects to be do you, do you do you have to like finesse any of that
0: yeah i mean you've got a sort of like being a good wedding planner just means number one, knowing people, like understanding people and how people operate, um, and paying attention to the details so that you could see that so that you can be like, Oh, this is going to be a problem. We need to make sure that we take measures to like prevent something. Um, you know, like if people are habitually late, I tell the couple, like tell them to show, like give them a half an hour or an hour, like You have to make, you have to be able to manage people in addition to like managing the wedding.
1: If you got struck by lightning right now, what's your legacy?
0: Oh, I would like to be known for being a champion for kindness and empathy, just as general humans. And then also in the wedding industry, like that's kind of what I honestly hope that my book you know, as it starts getting out there more and more, like I, it is, it cannot, it is also a helpful resource for people in the wedding industry to just understand what their clients are going through, to be able to offer their clients a better experience, but also just to make them better humans. I mean, like my book talks about emotional intelligence and empathy and how to be a good listener and how to be a good communicator. And so I really want people to just be better people and to treat people, treat each other better.
1: Leah, you're so wonderful to take this time. Thank you.
0: Thank you. This has been such a pleasure.
1: Did I listen?
0: You did listen.
1: What could I have done better?
0: I mean, you did try to get me to sing.
1: (laughs) That was the best thing I did.
0: Well, I love it that you were like, my rules are, we don't talk, the two rules, we don't talk about anything that you don't want to talk about. Well, that's not and talking, then I'm like, I singing. don't sing, and you tried to get me to sing happy
1: birthday. Well, that's not talking, that's singing. So <laughs> among the legal <laughs> definition of talking, that, that, that doesn't fit. Well, I hope we get to meet person to person sometime. And yes. if, I, if I can do anything for you, let me
0: know. I appreciate that. Yeah. And if you're ever in New York City, definitely let me
1: know. Oh, I'd love that. Thank you very Perfect. much.
0: Thank you so
2: much.
1: Leah Weinberg is the owner and creative director at Pop Events. And her book is called The Wedding Roller Coaster, and it gets five stars on Amazon. So thank you, Leah, for your time.
2: Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening, one word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch, like a t shirt, we can arrange that too.
1: I'd like to shout out and thank everyone who has supported Man Listening and continues to support Man Listening as we round more than 75 episodes and 30,000 downloads on six continents. Thanks so much.
2: Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Click the subscribe button and next week you'll hear. And I sang and it was complete freedom of a band. You know, it was you play what you feel and it it just turned into this thing that was wonderful. That's next week on Man Listening. Thanks.